the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. We're coming on a new year. So uh, you know what? There's only one guy. He was kind of the founder of Western philosophy that could bring in a new year better than this guy. I don't know of anybody. His name was Socrates, and he never wrote down anything he said. It was all Plato who wrote down for him. So I just thought we'd start off with with the greatest of all. (laughs) The only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. The unexamined life is not worth living. I cannot teach anybody anything. I can only make them think. There's only one good, knowledge, and one evil, ignorance. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Ain't that the truth, you know? Uh, it comes a time when you just got to sit back and, uh, you know, I was, I was talking to a, uh, a young gentleman who, believe me, he he's come up the hard way. and. Uh, I was talking to him the other day, and he he just had a, such a bright, effervescent personality. You, you wouldn't know this kid came from the East Side ghetto, and uh, m- mother and father both were not the greatest of uh, people. Uh, they were nice people, probably, but they they had <laughs> they got taught the life lessons the hard way. And uh, this kid has just come up, and uh, he's, he's outstanding young man. Anyway. I had a call this week, um, and I had a lot of calls this week, <laughs> uh, from people who listened to the show. And one of the gentlemen said, Tim, why don't we just do the Magnificent Seven forever? And, you know, uh, look, this time last year, we were talking about the Magnificent Seven, and both strategists that I follow, uh, Tom Lee over at Fundstrat and Lori Calvacina, talked about it. Now, Lori started talking about small caps in, in February. I think she would have been right had it not been for Silicon Valley, but she finished the year off pretty nicely. So uh, small caps did rebound very, very nicely in the end of the year. So, you know, I, I, I guess uh, there'd be two big things you need to know. The concentration of the S&P 500 is in a handful of tech-related mega cap stocks, and, and it's it just continues to be the conversation of, yeah, I mean, I think they talk about the Magnificent Seven, 20, what was it, last Thursday, I listened to CNBC, it was 42 times they mentioned it. And um, investors mostly want to know whether they see any signal in the concentration itself. And I would suggest no, all right? Uh, As we highlight, when we look at this, we look at the market cap share of the 10 biggest names in the S&P 500 over time, and we find that spikes in 
concentration tend to be associated with nervousness around a major crisis. And since we had several this year, um, it, you know, sometimes it, it happens before the event, sometimes it happens in the middle of the event, and sometimes after the event. And uh, we've been taking a uh, uh, talking a lot to our clients recently uh, about how we believe we are in the early days of this post-COVID era of investing. And, um, you know, we talked about back during COVID that we thought that this, the digital age would be moved forward five to 10 years. One of our analysts talked about that. Matter of fact, two or three of our analysts talked about that regularly. And indeed, that's occurred. All right. So with a new year coming into view, I think you've got to take a fresh look at the issue and analyze how the top 10 names of the S&P 500 ranked by market cap. And if you you look relative to the recipe, uh, the rest of the S&P 500 on several performances, valuation, earnings, balance sheet related metrics, most of the stats are equal weighted. <laughs> so we came away from that exercise with two key thoughts. And I think first, we found additional support for the idea that we are, uh, that we articulated in our 2020 outlook a couple months a couple weeks ago uh, that mega cap growth trade is overvalued and crowded and in need of a pause okay uh, a few things in our data support this idea and one of them is that the performance of the top 10 names relative to the rest of the stock market has stalled near levels that have marked the highs even going back to 2008 okay since 2008 uh, so uh, stock market since the tech bubble in 2000, you know, uh, 2008, 2000, we've seen stall at this this point. So, moreover, the rate of upwards earning per share estimates revisions, you know, earnings sentiment, we'll call it, is no longer strongly favoring the top 10 names relative to the rest of the stock market. It was the case through, you know, basically the first half of 2023. And then we talked about that on the show. All right. So this echoes all the findings we've published um, on, you know, the Russell 1000 growth versus value. So we'll see what happens going forward. But uh, anyway, I think the second reason would be uh, the S&P 500 has got so concentrated in the first place and suggests us that any change in the particular dynamics that caused it could spark a shift in leadership. And, and one of the big advantages we've identified for the top 10 names is their long-term uh, earnings per growth, uh, earnings per share growth forecast. And, you know, they keep going dramatically higher and the rest of the index, and this gap is, is much wider than what we've seen in, in the past, okay? So why we suspect that the growth narrative around the top 10 names isn't likely to change anytime soon the growth prospects for the rest of the U.S. equity market may, okay? And they could improve, uh, you know, and since the, if you took the top 10 names out, we'd be trading 15 times earnings, uh, you know, so that's really interesting because, you know, maybe those te top 10 stall and that could happen. And, and, and I guess, uh, you know, look, industrials have joined, Energy is one of the only two sectors seeing positive earnings per share this year. So sales revisions trends in the S&P 500 uh, recently, anyway. And net bulls in our survey, 
are now, you know, we still have, it's still positive on a four-week basis, but it's negative on a one-week basis. So we'll see what happens. But uh, going forward, there, there's, you know, there could be some changes, and you've got to understand that. Now, like I said, you know, the valuations going forward are reasonable. If you take out those top 10 stocks, we're trading about 15 times earnings. So the, the strength of the S&P 500 in 2023 has su- surprised a lot of people. Now, uh, one of our competitors, Tom Lee, uh, hit it on the head. I mean, he, he was he was right on. And um, Lori Calvacina has been much more constructive than most of her peers. Matter of fact, I think she finished in third place. And, um, and and she said this year, you know, she started off with the Magnificent Seven, and then she went on to small caps. And the small caps got beat up a little bit, but they finished strong. So she, she you know, the small caps finished up 15% for the year. So they were up 20% from October 30th. Remember, right? Go, go away in May, come back on All Souls Day. We talked about that numerous times. And so they've, they've done quite, quite well. And uh, I think, you know, like I said, net bulls right now are down, are up in the 45% area. So we need that to change a little bit. And I think that's going to happen by going sideways. Okay. And, and I'm going to talk about that more in the show, but uh, I think sideways movement is going to be very, very important. So I, you got to really think hard right now about a soft landing. Okay. So do we have a recession going on? I mean, if you look where the money flowed last week, it was in utilities, healthcare, staples. You know, they've been underperforming. And and by the way, a lot of those are dividend growth portfolios. In the dividend growth portfolio, are the prime income list. And that's the big question, I guess. You know, recession or soft landing. So, proponents of both have evidence that they think can ha- they can hang their hat on. So it's kind of like you know. Uh, you know, you've got the devil and an angel sitting on your shoulder, right? Okay, so the problem is the debate won't be settled for months. And the other problem is, is is it already in the market? Okay, so everybody was sure there was going to be a recession this year, and that didn't happen. Just remember, the U.S. government is going to spend $2 trillion in the first two months of the year. $2 trillion. This administration is not afraid to spend money. They, you know, they think it's theirs. <laughs> so, you know, look, the debate goes on. The question on everyone's mind is whether the U.S. economy will enjoy a soft landing. Will the Fed be that good? You know, look, the Fed, you know, their forecasting stuff is is not any better than anybody else's, I don't think, because there's there's humor, human intervention in there. The, you know, human thought that has to go through that. But look, the economic data has been volatile, and it's offering you know, contracting, uh, uh, contradicting clues, I'm sorry, uh, at best of being, or, well, let's just say at best or being poor quality at worst, okay? So the framework to assess the macroeconomic backdrop can be a useful tool if you got it down. But, you know, we're in the camp, RBC is in the camp that you'll have a very mild recession. And uh, the combination of high interest rates and restrictive bank lending standards. Remember, a lot of the regional banks aren't lending anymore. Okay, and that's what the you know the real estate market's looking at. So uh, you could go for either way. Government spending 
or lack of you know money flow. And uh, you know, M two, which is what, what most people consider the money supply, has been down now for I think it's like uh, six straight months. So it'll it'll be interesting uh, going forward. Um, and you know, one of the things we're seeing is if you look. Small firms tend to be tightening their belts. The large and medium firms are tightening their belts. And, and, and you know, the Magnificent Seven, I mean, they, they spun off. I mean, I mean, they laid off a lot of people uh, this year. So um, I, I think the thing is, is if you get laid off from one of those companies, you're in you're, you're pretty good shape. But, uh, you know, since the mid-1950s, we've, there's only been three soft landings. Uh, it's a small sample. So in the 1960s, the mid-80s, and the mid-90s, we had uh, soft landings. So we'll see what happens going forward. Um, by the way, each one of those was, you know, the mid-80s, we had the soft landing, and then we, you know, the Fed just started jacking up interest rates, and the market uh, died. And the mid '90s, once we got through there, we had year 2000. So we got to, you know, you got to kind of look over your shoulder. I guess is what it comes down to. You know, I I had several questions from people about the automotive market, and uh, valuations are broadly attractive in our in our thought process uh, across space, with stocks generally lagging the S and P 500, and many sitting at historical trough multiples. And boy, they got a lot of cash. They get a lot of cash. So. Uh, our analyst, uh, Tom Nararian, uh, says we, you know, we probably see 30% upside to our price targets of over the nine companies they, they look at. And, uh, you know, it's not, I'm not going to mention any names. I'll leave that up to you guys, but affordability and pricing are key debate for the global autos in 2024. You know, rates have begun to plateau at higher levels, which, you know, a lot of people borrow to, to buy cars. And the price mix is up 25 to 45% for the traditional OEMs from the 2019 to 2022 area. That's a big increase. So we think there could be a correction. We are almost uh, more cautious than the consensus on the price mix in 2024. So we'll see what happens there. But demand has been strong to date. Inflation is moderated. Unemployment remains at historical lows. So the auto price mix has held. However, inventories are starting to creep up, and we're seeing some of the OEMs approaching pre-pandemic levels, and and this is causing incentives to rise. You've been, I'm starting to see it on the TV now. And although still well below the pre-pandemic levels, consensus is modeling robust robust growth over the market for suppliers. But there could be some upside to production forecasts. So. You know, I, I guess the theme for 2024 is beyond consumer demand and the impact of pricing. I think the key themes are electric vehicle uh, penetration, raw material deflation, supplier growth over over the market, and production levels. While growth is st- still robust, we believe that the, the electric vehicle sales growth of 18% in 2024, down from 33%, and we also believe that will you know, what occurred in, you know, same thing occurred in 2023 as did 2022. So, you know, look, commodity prices have broadly stabilized after a period of elevated raw materials through the 2021 to early 2022. So it it could help their EBIT earnings. Okay. So we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, We've got a lot of key ideas. Uh, If you want that report, you're going to call in for it. 
take it from there. Um, yeah, let's let's take a break, and then we'll come back. We'll talk a little technical uh, stuff, and uh, this is Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. When the bells all ring and the horns all blow And the couples we know are fondly kissing Will I be with you or will I be among the As you know, Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get a great night's sleep. He created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my incredibly and increasingly busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza, and Mike's Giza Dream Sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. You'll get 50% off the Giza Dream Bed Sheets, and you'll receive a set for as low as $29.98. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio podcast square, and use the promo code BOOTH. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper, MyPillow kitchen towel set, and much more. Call 800-315-8130. Use the promo code BOOTH, MyPillow.com. But make sure you use the promo code B-O-O-T-H. Heritage Truck Equipment is hiring. Heritage currently has career openings for entry-level and experienced welders and assemblers. On-the-job training is provided. Heritage Truck Equipment is a state-of-the-art dump body manufacturing company in Hartville, Ohio. Heritage Truck Equipment offers a $2,000 sign-on bonus to new hires, competitive wages, and 100% employer-paid medical benefits. Do not miss out on an opportunity to be a part of Heritage Truck Equipment's growing team. Apply online today. HeritageTruck.com Wouldn't it be nice to keep income rolling in even long after you retire? At RBC Wealth Management, we can help you invest for the future that you want and create a personalized plan to help you create the steadfast flow of income you'll need throughout your retirement. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Anyway, so, um, you know, we're coming into an election year, and I've had numerous questions. How is the election going to affect the market? Well, I mean, we have a president who likes to spend money. I mean, he spent about $8 trillion in the first two years of his thing, and a lot of that money is going to be coming due uh, or getting into the economy in the first two months of this year, $2 trillion worth. Uh, if I'm reading this correctly, and I think I am. So I think there's going to be a lot of government spending uh, going on this year. Now, will that continue? I don't know. I think it depends on who's being in office. But remember, it isn't about politics. It's about earnings and liquidity. All right, so if the politics affects earnings, or liquidity, the politics comes into play. 
if they don't, or if they, you know, they just bump them a little bit, it's not a big deal. Okay. So look, I, I still look at the long-term trends and cycles for the markets and sector. And the first key takeaway that we would highlight is that the secular trends for equities remains positive. And I think it's going to trend higher. Uh, and Rob Schleimer even thinks it's going up into the two, two, you know, 2030s because uh, this is that six to 18 year bull market. And somebody said, well, the last year and a half hasn't been a bull market, you know, in the, in the one of the greatest bull markets of all time, which was in the 80s. We had 1987. You know, 1983, the small caps got crushed. 1987, everything got crushed in one day, okay? Actually, it's two days. And then, you know, 1990, we had another bear market, right? So, and in 1998, we had the Russian ruble crisis, and we had a 20% correction. So you do have corrections within bull markets. The, the thing is, generally, the trend is up over the period of time. Now, this one was a little bit different in that the Fed, you know, went hog wild. They had six three-quarter point moves up in interest rates. So uh, that, and by the way, last year, the S&P 500 was up 27%. The NASDAQ was up further, the QQQs. Now, I have the QQQs in a lot of different ways, but I think the liquidity and growth is the important. And remember, we usually have a three to four year cycle, and is and that's usually driven by the liquidity by the central bank and economic growth. So if this year, if Mr. Powell says we're lowering interest rates, and trust me, he has a lot more power than the Fed chair in New York who said the opposite, the four-year cycle, we start Monday or Tuesday, I'm sorry. So, you know, keep that in the back of your head because people ask about the elections all the time and politics, and politics affects it, but it's liquidity and growth. So earnings per share, that's what affects your stocks, okay? So this repetitive four-year cycle starts, and I, it may have already started. You know, like I said, they weren't going to ring a bell at the bottom. And all souls day, we took off, all right? And I kind of said that for four or five months, uh, and I hope everybody was listening. So, now, you know, breakouts right now, I think what's important, and Rob Schleimer talked about this, and we'll talk about it in more in depth going here, but if, if if you're revisiting the charts and you look, you know, what we've been in is a two-year sideways trading range, okay? So what we digested the gains from, you know, uh, 2009 all the way up uh, to 2021. So if if we break out it would suggest further, you know, upside in 2024. Now we haven't done that exactly, but uh, we did do it in the Dow Jones. Okay, the S&P 500 did not do it, and then also the the Nasdaq uh, is okay. So if you look at the presidential cycle, the average and median S&P 500 returns during the four-year period and and the one year of the presidential cycle. You know, the first year, the election year, the average is 7.5%. The median is 10.7%. So it's usually a good year. However, <laughs> the presidential cycle, you know, it, the first half of the year is choppy to down. Let me repeat that. The first half of the year is choppy to down. 
and I think, you know, if, if Lori Calvacin is right and Tom Lee's right and all the rest of the guys that I've been listening to, it would probably be a small cap world next year. So, I mean, I, you know, we're talking about small caps being the most undervalued in 40 some odd years. Now, let me repeat that. Small caps are going to be the most undervalued in 40 some odd years. And believe me, I've seen some stock that were shorted into submission. And they were mostly in the healthcare area, by the way, because that they really beat those guys up. There was no bids for these stocks. The liquidity was absolutely zero, all right? And I've seen five stocks go from below four bucks, start below a dollar that are over 35 now. All right. And yeah, and it, and they did it in a month. <laughs> I'm not talking about a year. They did it in a month. Okay. So they're, they're out there. And I think there's going to be some other names like that because a lot of these biotechnologies and healthcare technology companies have life-saving technology and people just have not paid attention to them. So we'll see what happens. So uh, healthcare is pretty cheap too. You know, that's the other one that we talked about in uh, being very, very cheap. Uh, so, you know, by the way, we do have, you know, our U.S. small uh, capital markets, our U.S. small cap growth list. Um, and we th- we think the time is now. OK, so we've been bullish on, on small caps into 2024. Uh, you know, this year, everybody thought we were crazy and we finished up 15 percent. That's far from crazy. All right. So there we go. Anyway, uh, the other area I think you've got to take a look at is we're we're talking about, you know, one of the themes we talked about in our uh, technology, Internet, media and telecommunications conference was ad tech. OK, where is where are we going to be? And so I guess in conversations with management at that that uh, particular conference and over the past several weeks, our people have come away with a feeling much more comfortable at fourth quarter results in this, you know, usually it's a, a seasonally strong year end time frame. OK, so a strong cyber week was not followed by a dramatic drop off in December like last year. Uh, as open internet players are currently looking, you know, for uh, a fourth quarter growth. Uh, so, looking out further, we would expect companies to remain conservative uh, around their initial guidance for next year uh, because they got burned last year. So, you can count on that. And it's generally expected to be a better macro environment, or at least that's what we're talking about. And remember, the stock market looks at things nine months ahead of time. So, if the Fed's going to start lowering rates, because look, we have two three-quarter point rate increases that haven't hit the market yet, if that lag that we've talked about, that you know six to nine-month lag is still there. So you got to think about that. And then we had two-quarter point <laughs> uh, increases that aren't in there either. So um, you, you got to think about stuff like that ahead of time. So I think the end result is that the current expectations are about 600 bips of uh, of acceleration of a lowered bar from last year, okay, for these type of stocks. And, there, you know, we have a lot of names in that area. There's five that I really like, two that I really, really like. Uh, and if you'd like this report, let us know. Now, a couple things I want to uh, review. I just don't know if we have time, but, you know, we talked some themes last year. So we'll try to do this in between now and the uh, next, uh, you know, take a break and then come there. But we talked about data liquid cooling. And, you know, all, there's a shortage of G, GPUs out there. 
And just so you know, a GPU is the brains behind AI, okay? They have very high-powered semiconductors running the show. And these things heat up. And you put these all in a warehouse. And the warehouse is like 120 degrees, 125 degrees. You don't want to catch fire, okay? Traditional cooling is not working as well. However, they do have liquid cooling systems. And there's some people that are involved here. And there's some people that are in the traditional cooling market that are starting to make these liquid cooling things, which may be uh, uh, sneaky ways of making money. But this is a way to participate in AI without having to pay 80 times earnings. <laughs> right? So it's the HVAC business, and it's the traditional HVAC business right now cannot handle this, okay? So there's advances in three type of liquid cooling systems, and, and we're currently seeing like 25% growth. Now, this report came out in June, so some of these stocks are already up. But it's a multiple sector theme, and it's driving rapid adoption of these liquid cooling systems. And there's some people out there that uh, we we like a lot. Uh, you know, two or three names that I really like a lot that also have good businesses beyond that. And a couple that are raising their dividend pretty regularly. So, you know, you can't fake a dividend. So if these companies are doing well, and by the way, Dean Dre is the analyst. and He is really one of our better analysts. He's, he doesn't do anything sensational. He's just a steady Eddie type of guy. Uh, and you can get that, uh, that uh, report anytime you want. I, I, I really highly recommend it. The second area we've been emphasizing this year <clears throat> has been the semiconductor area. All right. And I think the key points here are that the wide scale disruption of global semiconductor supply chain during COVID uh, increased tensions between U.S. and China. They set off alarm bells in the government circles. And what they're doing is helping build some of the domestic semiconductor plants here so we don't have to worry about things. All right. Uh, You know, I I think we're going to take a break here. Uh, So we're going to be right back and we'll, you know, just. Hold hold that thought. <laughs> Stay with us. We'll be right back. Sewer repair. Now you might be thinking there's nothing wallacadoodle about sewer line problems, and we're with you on that. But if you do need to repair your sewer, there's always a wallacadoodle solution. Most of the time, Wyatt Works can repair your sewer line with an advanced pipelining solution that eliminates the need to dig up your yard. Rather than replacing your clay sewer pipes, we'll line them with a smooth, incredibly durable epoxy capable of lasting 100 years. The pipelining's completed in about a day with no mess in your yard, and it guarantees no more root intrusion or clogs. It's a permanent solution that works like, well, wallacadoodle. We even warranty it for life, and it comes with guaranteed upfront pricing and easy payment options. 
Now, most clogs can be fixed with our flat rate drain clearing, but if you called someone else for drain clearing and they want to dig up your yard and spend all week replacing your sewer line, well, call for a second opinion from the Wallacadoodle Plumbers at WyattWorks.com. When rolling over your 401k, it's easy to get lost. Look to the experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors from RBC Wealth Management to guide you through the whole 401k rollover process. It's all part of designing a plan that's tailored to your unique investment needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Okay, we're back. Uh, you know, we were talking about chips, and um, you know, I, I think somebody said, "Who is who is the newest sphere of influence in Washington?" And I'd say it's chip manufacturers, chip companies. So we talked about how the disruption in in the COVID pandemic. Uh, screwed up things and, and cre- increased tension between China. Now, you know, China's flying a plane over Taiwan every like 50 seconds, it seems like. But many governments are focusing on chip security and, and they're proposing bold new incentives to manufacture critical technology closer to home. All right. Uh, and the, re- the, re- the reshoring strategy, which, per, uh, you know, prioritizes supply chain resilience over cost efficiencies should bolster national security, but it comes with its own challenges. You know, one of these challenges uh, is the industry should benefit from secular long-term growth, though some cyclicality will occur there. Uh, you know, they're economically sensitive, so elements do remain uh, there. And, and semiconductor equipment ma- manufacturers could provide a useful hedge to geopolitical tensions heating up. So that's, that's I mean, think about that over... Time, okay, so the other major theme that we talked about this year was AI. Okay, and you're not going to hear the end of this because I think AI is where the internet was in 1997. Okay, uh, so why? What's the broad themes? Most of the companies have broad financial performances. They have AI investments. They they're learning how to mon- monetize their AI investment, and there's a GPU shortage. It's going to be big for a long time, I think. And that even if we get back to normal times, it'll still probably be growth of seven, eight, nine percent on revenue. And capex growth and data center, uh, data center expansion is going to be huge, which you know makes uh, the the forward going thought process. I mean, data they're going to be putting out these, uh, you know, what what we called they're just data warehouses okay real estate investment trusts are big with them but they're going to be building these things because they need more power more power more power and uh i I think a lot of the the um, growth will come in large language models uh which are being established uh at or near the existing cloud okay so that's something uh it you know a lot of major providers are, are giving you that, but there's a growing interest in a smaller model framework, and that's where you could make tons of money. So I think there's going to be a lot of strategic p- partnerships, and I think industrial and energy implications are big. Uh, and I've got a whole 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 list of uh, 
you know, stuff that we could probably talk about there and we'll probably leave it alone. Sorry about the phone ringing. <laughs> anyway, uh, I would also highlight that you can find all this information in the highlights from RBC's global technology, internet, media, and telecommunications conference. Okay. Uh, you know, that, that happened back in November. Back in 2018, I, I highlighted this, and the, I think every stock was up 60, 70%. It was, a, it was an absolutely amazing scenario. So now, our, my good friend, Rob Schleimer, uh, has put out his trend and cycle technical outlook for the year. And I think what he, you know, the first thing he highlighted was, hey, it's a, we're in a generational bull market lasting probably 16 to 18 years. So somewhere around 2034 is what he's looking for a peak in the market. And by then we, we won't be talking about what we'll be saying. We got to get in the market. We got to get in the market. That's what happened in 2000. Everybody wanted to get in the market. Everybody wanted to get a market. And I was getting out. <laughs> that was my first, uh, my first uh, uh, seminar. Uh, every I I got booed off stage pretty much because I kept saying get out of technology, biotech, and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, but if we look and 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 one of the things he he looks at is the cycles. And there's a 17 year cycle up, then there's a 17 year cycle which is flat to down, and the up cycles from the bottom. And we're going back to 2009 now. We're not starting here or anything like that. It's usually about 2,300%. We have four cycles that we, uh, we can go back on. If, if we just go 2,000%, you're looking at S&P 500, 14,000. And you know, we're at 4,600 4, right now, so 4,400. But just remember this, we have this repetitive four-year cycle where uh, you know, we go up for a while, we go get beat up for a while, then we go up, then we go sideways for a while, then we go back up. And we are entering the beginning of a four-year cycle starting Tuesday. Now, the four-year cycle may have started already, okay? But U.S. equity markets are beginning to resolve a two-year trading range to the upside. That's cons- you know That confirms that four-year cycle. So how far could they rally? Well, if you use a Fibonacci extension of 161.8%, if you don't know who Fibonacci is, you should learn quickly. All right. It would suggest uh, the S&P 500 5638 and the Dow about 42,000. Uh, all right. That's this is just suggesting. All right. Uh, so to be clear, these levels are not 2024 targets for the next significant uh, technical levels. In fact, rallying roughly 70, 7 to 10 percent in 2024 would be consistent with the average move during an election year. Okay, so keep that in mind. So people ask, uh, you know, what's the year going to look like? And I keep saying that, hey, you know, in election year, the average is 7.5%. The mean is 10.7. So keep that in mind. And then we looked at, uh, actually, I didn't. Rob Schleimer looked at it, and he said, he looked back on, I don't know how many uh, election years, but Usually from January to June, it's kind of sideways to, to flat market and with a couple, you know, 5% corrections. And then most of the gain comes after June. So we'll see if this is right this year. But uh, I look, the number of, you know, if we look, 
at the cycle participation, meaning how many more stocks are making new highs, the number of new lows it, it, is at an all-time low, you know, dating back to uh, 2020, okay? The number of new highs is at a new high uh, in, for the last year. So what we're seeing is more people participate. So we always talk about in this show, you don't want to just fight a war with the generals, the kings, and the knights. What we now have is some of the archers and some of the foot soldiers jumping in. Now, if we can get the, you know, the rest of the supply chain coming up, the guys that bring food, bring extra arrows, bring you know, more ammunition, bring medical supplies, things get really interesting. So uh, just remember seasonality. And I think if we go back to 2000, January and February are usually not so good months, and June is not a good month. But March and April are really good months, and then October, December, and uh, November and December are really good months. This year, it started October 27th. The market took off. And uh, I had some people that were upset with me for being in small caps. They ended up 15 16% higher. And if you're not willing to accept 15 16%, I, I think it's going to continue, uh, by the way. But now... The, the quadrant balance oscillator that Rob Slimer follows is pretty overbought at this point. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to it has to die or anything like that, but usually it takes a while for the top to come in. And I think what will happen is, well, you know, it, was, it hit the nail on the head. You know, he, we said the whole last two weeks of October, we talked about it being oversold in, in an area where, Big bounces occur, and sure enough, we got our big bounce. Now, we've got to kind of wait a little bit. You want to buy on weakness, not strength, I think. Um, and, but if I'm right, what I think may happen is that the small caps will start to lead. And when small caps start to lead, it isn't usually just a year deal. It's usually a two or three, four, five year. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Now, look, the other thing that, that makes me think that we're coming into a pause is that the bullish sentiment is up at 47, 48, uh, it's actually 51%. I can't read. <laughs> no glasses on. And and the bears are down to 20. Uh, remember when we started this whole thing, the bears were at 50 back in October, and the bulls were down to 24, 25. So we need that that to go away a little bit. Now, I will say this. Every, everybody's talking, you know, we've been talking about the small caps for some time now, all right? I, I Believe me, I've caught some grief for it, but they finished up 15% for the year, okay? From where we bought it, 15% for the year. Now, the one thing that we haven't seen for the small caps is the index is showing some early signs of bottoming near the support which has held up since way back in 2008. Uh, now, it, they got overbought 2015 and 16, and, uh, you know, the election, uh, it caused a lot of the small cap bios to get beat up, and then the banks got beat up just recently. But what we need to see is relative performance break out against the S&P 500. Then I'll be pounding the table. All right, let's take a break, uh, and we'll be right back. All is quiet on New Year's Day The world is wild, it's on the way 
Wealth Management, we are proud of our reputation for putting clients' interests first. Our steadfast commitment to helping clients achieve their financial goals includes giving back to the communities we serve. Through supporting youth education, human services, and the arts, we hope to make tomorrow better for everyone. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Hey friends, what you doing for lunch today? Brown bagging in the break room? That's okay, but can I make you a better offer? How about joining the herd and heading to Harry Buffalo on Great Northern Boulevard in North Olmsted? Have you seen the menu at Harry Buffalo? Oh my, an incredible assortment of mouth-watering options. Sandwiches, wings, bowls, salads, tacos, pizza, and the burger bonanza. The best burger menu in Northeast Ohio, especially if you make it a bison burger. And if you can't get out for lunch, then stop by for the Harry Buffalo Happy Hour with great food and drink specials every day. And who wants to cook tonight anyway? Stop out for dinner and indulge in an amazing selection of entrees. My favorites, the Lake Erie Perch and the Chicken Parm is to die for. And remember this, if you go to HarryBuffalo.com and join the herd as a subscriber, you'll get a free appetizer along with all the latest buff news and specials sent directly to you for your next visit. So remember, whether it's lunchtime or dinner time or happy hour time, it's always a great time when it's Harry Buffalo time on Great Northern Boulevard in North Olmsted. When it comes to managing your retirement, it's easy to get lost. Look to RBC Wealth Management to guide you. Our experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors will build your investment strategy by designing a plan that's tailored to your unique financial needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Visit rbcwealthmanagement.com. folks. So, uh, <laughs> there we go. That old acquaintance be forgot. All right. So, you know, I was looking at things and I, and I think what's important is, um, one should look at the, the long term, And, uh, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. Uh, and a lot of people, uh, they're so intent on being the, the, the trading king, you know, that they, they forget that, you know, Warren Buffett's favorite, probably one of the greatest investors of our time, all right, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, they were asked how long do they want to own a stock? And they said, preferably forever. And people forget that because that's how you really make it rich, all right? Bill Gates didn't get rich by working at Microsoft. He got rich by holding on to Microsoft stock for 30 years, 40 years. Okay, from when it came public in, in tw- uh, 1983 till now. Okay, the wealth he's generated by the stock has been unbelievable. Okay, so you got to keep that in mind. So keep that for the long term, and uh, and I think it's you know it's it's very very important. Uh, that you, people are, you know, CNBC wants you trading all the time and wants you in index funds so that their friends can can make money. You know, if you were an index fund from 2000 to 2016, you didn't make a dime. You didn't make a dime, you know? So it's, index funds are good during bull markets. 
okay, during bad markets are not so good. So you got to keep that in mind. Um, anyway, so look, there, I, I think if we're looking at secular trends, uh, our long view, we highlighted the equity market being suitably oversold back in the uh, last two weeks of October. And we've had a we had a broad based decline in the third quarter, and and uh, we had a big move. We said the same thing back in March. We had no reason for the rally in March. Things were bad, you know. We had Silicon Valley blowing up. Everybody was worried about every. I mean, four or five banks get sold, you know, and they were good sized banks, uh, you know. Uh, so when you get to oversold levels, you got to pay attention. Now we're overbought. So, you know, if I look at the industry. Tracking two to four months, uh, you know the market swings are relatively early in up upturns, and we expect the the pullbacks to be short lived. Yeah, and the next important macro event likely be the FOC meeting uh, in in January and February. So the decline from the summer highs into the fourth quarter, uh, it appeared to be the you know, the normal third quarter pullback. You know. September is a terrible month in the market. <laughs> so uh, if we have the S&P 500 break out to new highs, that would be very positive. We already have the Dow. So most equity markets entered the beginning of November, you know, really oversold. But I think you got to – energy stocks have generally been moving with interest rates uh, as oil has – and both have pulled back. So I think it's concerns over economic slowdown and that type of thing. But we're seeing some, the, the more notably, the speculative growth groups uh, that had dramatic declines in 2022 and 2023. You know, payment stocks, select biotechs are two examples. They're taking off, right? So keep that in mind. Now, the one thing I think we have to pay attention to is we've had the 10-year interest rate spike up from 320 to 5%, and now it's pulled back to 3.8. The market doesn't do well when interest rates get to 5%. Now, I'm not predicting what direction it's going to go. I doubt they're going back to 1% or 2% again, but, you know, just keep that in the back of your mind. And, you know, we Bob Dickey started this, uh, the 4- and 13-month indicator. Uh, Bob was our technician before Rob Schleimer, and a very good one, by the way. And what he looked for was when the 4-month crossed over the 13-month, the you were usually in a bull market. And when the gap became too big, uh, you know, the, the standard deviation, you were a couple standard deviations below or a, or a full standard deviation, you could still buy, you know. Uh, right now, the histogram, which we watch very closely, was the most overbought I ever saw, and then became the most oversold I've ever saw. And now it's back to being overbought, and it's it's slowly but surely waning off that. So we'll see what happens. But, uh you know, we, we could have the S&P 500 hit a new high, which would be over 48.20, I think. And uh, if it would, I think it would be on less stocks, and, and then we'd see, uh, uh, you know, then a sideways movement. Normally, when you break out, you pull back, and, you know, it takes a while for everybody to say, hey, maybe I should buy. You know, they break out, that's ah, the market's too high, and then they wait for the pullback. The weekly momentum is, is relatively early in left turn, so that's why I think we're going to hit a new high. But just remember that the uh, the only election cycles where I've seen we were really down was 2000 and and 2008. And 2008 was due to you know uh, the overall market being a problem. So I just think we have to 
slowly but surely alleviate the overbought condition. I think uh, if if the Fed start to lower rates, then you got to pay very close attention. So, look, what we reviewed was the data centers, the ad tech area, the small caps, the the AI scenario. Uh, those are all pretty significant uh, scenarios, but. It's a new year, folks. Don't forget the wealth plan. Remember, you can do a wealth plan without uh, becoming a client. All right. However, the what ifs. You want to do the what ifs. You got to become a client. Family inventory workbooks. Let's get organized in the new year. You know, healthcare and retirement. People don't understand. Half the people don't understand Medicaid and Medicare. You know, this is a way of taking a look and saying, "Hey, this is you know, this is the basics." Okay. And we also have our highlights from our RBC Global PIMT conference. Uh, you know, in 2018, that was an absolute home run shot. I think it may be this year, too. And we also talked about autos, uh, and uh, we have a great report on that. So if you like any of those, uh, you know, go to WHK1420, go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show. You can go directly to my webpage. There's all sorts of contact me, email me, uh, let me know. Uh, in the meantime, it's a new year. Let's get organized. Come see me. Let's talk about a wealth plan. Come see me. Let's talk about putting everything into a family inventory workbook. What a novel concept. Being organized. <laughs> All right. I think we're I think we're gonna start out slow this year and and be up in the second part of the year. Uh that's my prediction. We'll see what happens. My prediction only. Uh so we'll leave it at that. In the meantime, have a great weekend. This is a Smart Investor Show. Happy New Year to all. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.